said we were going to talk about the prospects live today and here we are i don't really know how to feel willie right now about about baseball but uh we said we were going to do this and uh here we are (laughs) i don't really have a whole to go on except for uh all the discourse that is that is happening today yeah as you and i were sharing ill will for rob manfred you know hopefully he gets this done and Maybe the owners will be displeased with him and remove him. Can we all hope and pray? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he's, well, I don't know. I'd say he's doing too good of a job for the owners because, you know, that's what his yeah. job is yeah, to work for them. He's accomplishing what they want. So he takes the black eye for it, but you have 30 owners there. And I'm sure not all of them would agree to this. Some of them would probably like it to be a lot less that the players end up getting regardless, you know, but um, I think uh, with labor, labor talks, I think there's always incremental gains. Um, It's been a frustrating process for all of us that love baseball though. I know I've been detached more this off season than really in a long time, to be honest with you. Um, I think having the write-ups to do has kept me interested in the game, Um, but it's definitely damaged my interest as far as Major League Baseball in general goes. Yeah, I'm with you there. I saw a lot of people this morning tweeting just how upset they were. You know, they were a lot of of sentiment towards Rob Manfred, obviously, but just a lot of people saying they don't even care if opening day gets here. They're hoping that when they get to opening day, they'll feel better about it, but and, and all these people I follow on Twitter, so we know I know they're baseball fans. I know they like baseball. So it's like if you're if you're making those fans mad, you're really driving away a lot of really good fans. And there was somebody else who was going back and forth with me on Twitter too, who said he's a diehard and even he doesn't care. And I'm like, well, the moment you start getting diehards upset, you got real trouble. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think you and I are both what I would call, at, at the very least, diehard fans. Um, when you're getting us irritated, and part of it is just how the players are treated, obviously. That's one of my bones to pick with them, um, feeling that the players should get more, a larger piece of the pie. Uh, they should. I think it has to come in, in incremental gains. Um, it's not all going to happen overnight. I think the players have been very aggressive trying to get more, rightfully so, but I don't think the owners ever had any intention of even giving an, an inkling. Um, I think 43 days would attest to that, where there was no conversation between both sides. Yeah, what a mess that is, just to wait that long. I mean, th- I mean, obviously that was designed for them to um, – take advantage of time and, and press things up as to, as, as to the limit and make this go down to the wire. I think they thought this was going to make it easier for them to get a good deal because it was going to put the players up against it. And they thought that was the way to break them, but that hasn't worked to now and good for the players. I mean, you know, they're not letting, they're not letting themselves get pushed around and I don't know if what they're doing is good, but 
I understand. I understand, you know, they're, they're not happy with the last several labor deals going there, not going their way. And yeah, I, this I is feel how like they fight their way back. I feel like they're trying to make up too much ground at once. Um, because the last one was really, it was a, a bad deal for them. Um, like I said, I think it should be incremental gains. You get gains in every area. Start with one thing like base salary. Of course, you want to push in on the other things as well, but you, you can push in, get your foot in the door, and then pry it further open later on. Um, I'm just curious why they haven't gone for like an escalator clause as far as um, minimum salaries go. Why not meet or have some sort of clause where they could uh, potentially have maybe the second highest, you know, paid. Um, interesting how all of that works out because you have the NFL with 16 games in a season, the NBA with 82, and I don't even know what the NHL plays, but all of them play much less games throughout the year. Um, but they all get paid either near what major league baseball players do or near, well, a, a lot above it, significantly above that. And I'm just curious why they haven't ever tried to institute that, like some sort of clause where they're at the very least the second highest um, major sport as far as minimum minimum goes, and then you know even escalating up from there. I thought it was funny today that there was talk. I think you and you even sent this in our DM just a little bit ago that um, there's talk that Major League Baseball might have a deal or might be working on a deal with. NBC or Peacock or Amazon to stream midweek games. And I think, I think I saw from Travis Sawchick, friend of the podcast, um, that the deal was worth 150 million. And I'm like, man, there's just no, there's just no money coming into baseball. There's just no, you know, they're struggling to, to find revenue streams, 150 million for, a, a new broadcast stream that doesn't affect the ones they already have. Like, man, they just, they have such a hard time making money, don't they? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're struggling to make it. All of them are on government assistance. Um, I'm not knocking anyone who is being sarcastic, but um, you know, it's Major League baseball is definitely struggling with money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, after this, you know, I think it's going to take several year, years to, to heal. And then, even here with Cleveland and the dynamic of the rebrand with the organization, you know, you have some fans who have checked out never guardians, you know, um, I think some of them will come back. Some of them probably were never baseball fans to begin with. Um, as much as I love the Indians, I'll like them if they're the guardians or if they're, I don't know. Um, if they name the, the team, something else stupid, you know, like, the beluga whales or something like that. I'll still <laughs> like them even if it doesn't make any sense. What a what a bad time for a rebrand, right? <laughs> like this yeah, could I mean, be this could be any more worse time for them. Yeah, and I had alluded to that before all of this really took place is that Cleveland mm -hmm. really needed to generate that excitement with before the season, and now all they've done is just dump a bucket of cold water on everybody. Let's go jump in like Erie right now, you know? I mean, that's essentially what they've done to Cleveland fans. It's so bad. I can't believe it. It's it's. We can take Rob with us. I don't know if he knows how to swim. <laughs> I don't. I mean, 
He's swimming in something right now. The baseball swimming yeah. in cash. He's not swimming in the lake. I don't know. Yeah, I can't believe what, what bad timing this all was for a rebrand for them. They've had zero chances to add any excitement. I mean, I remember, remember that week, that week before the for the deadline for the, the negotiation or the lockout or the CBA, I should say, expiring. It was just a free agent frenzy and. Not really many trades went down, but it was a lot of a lot of free agency. It's just like that seemed like such an exciting week or two for baseball. And I was like, man, this must be what it feels like to be an NBA fan where the clock hits midnight on the non-tampering period and things are so exciting and players could sign right away for big money. And then it was all done. And then we haven't heard anything since. And there there has not been a good day for news in baseball since um since probably before for before that, right? Since since uh Lockout. So, all of yeah, fame? so today is that, the, is that no. the last good thing? No, because you know that's even surrounded by a ton of discourse. How could you call that good? Yeah, um, I'm not. I don't even pay attention to the Hall of Fame. That's neither right. here nor there for me. You know. So, I mean, no, but like, so the last it's been eighty three days for the lockout now. I so I think the last time that baseball had a good day was was eighty four days ago. Legitimately, that's. So it's pretty bad. Eighty-four days. All the news news has been terrible. So Cleveland's perspective, you know, I'm wearing, you know, bro, home run pitch, Jose Ramirez t-shirt. You know, and this this season may be the last one in Cleveland because of this. You know, who knows? But it does, or it will impact it if they lose games. If there's not cash flow coming in, all the more reason that he could end up outside of Cleveland. Um. I've told fans, I think it was 50, 50 already, you know, maybe I'm being overly optimistic. Um, who knows with, uh, David Blitzer and Josh Harris coming on board eventually, you know, we haven't heard anything else about that. That was exciting news for, for Cleveland fans for a moment. And then, you know, it seems like all hope has been dashed at this point. Yeah. I mean, I I have a little bit of faith that something will get done. I mean, it's so it's so weird though. We haven't heard any news about, um, haven't heard any news about the ownership thing. Like since that whole came that came up, I don't know. Like they, that that's a procedural thing that goes on behind the scenes. I don't think, I don't think they need to have the lockout done to approve a new owner. Yeah, that has. I mean, that one's neither here nor there. So they could have done that within the confines of the lockout because it doesn't affect the players. Yeah. I'm not really sure. We're going to get Pat on here now. I'm not really sure up, why Pat? that's the case. What's up, Pat? How you guys doing? Hey, Pat. Us now? Oh, Good we're just enjoying another wonderful day for major league baseball. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's beautiful. We still are going to talk prospects and we've just kind of been sitting here bitching. So that's about where we're at right now. We're just saying about, it's very strange that, there was all that talk of a new owner for, for the guardians and, you know, a new minority owner. And that just went away when the lockout happened. And we were trying to think that, you know, I don't think the lockout needs to end for them to have that approved, but you know, that's that whole news has essentially disappeared, which is strange. Maybe it's because it doesn't want to be associated with something that's a, doesn't want to be associated with the Titanic, right? Is that what it is? I have no clue what that. <laughs> Maybe I'm too young. I don't know. 
David Blitzer's like, I am not ready to jump on the ship yet. You guys don't have any lifeboats. You don't have any life jackets. You're just rearranging chairs right now. I'm not getting on. I mean, the good thing about it is, 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 is that um, is it's good to see a lot of casual fans wake up and really see what's going on with the game. Yeah, I, I certainly think the conversation has changed a little bit, which is good. But, but uh, having social media has helped them for sure. But at the same time, um, as I feel like all three of us are a pro player, um, how. How willing are we to tolerate, you know, everything that's going on now for the players to get what they deserve, honestly? Um, that's kind of what I ask myself all the time when I think about what's going on. And, you know, it it sucks, but at the same time, um, I, I want to see Labor win that and, uh, no matter what the cost is. So, I mean, especially for something that's arbitrary as baseball. Yeah. At the end of the day, World it's entertainment. Baseball. Yeah. I mean, And, yeah, and I so. saw – Heyman tweeting that he never wants to see scab players again. I don't care who goes out there and plays. Like I said, I can still throw a knuckleball. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's that too. But I mean, so yeah, there's that. There's that flip side of it as well. So I hit zero home runs in the home run derby uh, for Joe Hayden's charity softball game. Like, oh gosh, ten years ago now, eight years ago now, I hit zero home runs. So uh, no one's coming to see me play. Just say that <laughs> I couldn't even a home run in a softball home run derby. Too much pressure. No one's gonna watch me play. Um, do I think we've we've complained enough about about baseball? Should we just talk about the rankings and? I don't know. I, I need some more teas with on. my wine. All right. I mean, feel free to rant. This is what we're here <laughs> for, and nobody has really joined us yet. So we'll see if anybody catches on because we're just gonna record this for a podcast later. But hey, uh, whatever works. If you if you if you need to rant, go for it, man. No, I'm good. I've, I think I've <laughs> cried over it enough. I've come to the realization nothing I can do about it except for be frustrated with Manfred and owners. And, you know, like I said, it's it's a process. I want to see the players get more of the pie like they should. I think it's going to be an incremental process, but it's a process. Maybe they should go uh, with an agreement year to year. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I oh, echo Willie. Really. So it's definitely going to take like three or four CBAs to kind of reverse and get to where they deserve to be, honestly. So that is the that is the only thing about this is that not that I'm saying the players aren't aren't entitled to more than what they've been getting the last several years because the last several CBA the last the team that's been negotiating on behalf of the players has accepted less than they should have. This is why we're here, but. Um, my only gripe with, with them is probably that, like I think Will you said this earlier, is that they might have to realize they're not going to be able to get as much back in one bargaining cycle as they would like to. So they do have to it, and I'm sure I'm sure they realize that. I'm too. I'm I'm sure they're being told that you're not going to be able to take the entire pie back right now. You're, this is going to be a multi-year, multi-cycle situation. But and they differentiate themselves in that way to me as well. I, I think, yeah, they I think, I think they'll fronts, figure that out. But you're not gonna. Um, and I would really hammer down on the the minimum salary. That's the one thing. If I were them, focus on that. You have the whole player group. And the reverse of that, if I'm the owners, I'm going to offer that, but not offer anything else. I'm going to offer minimum salary because that's where you save a ton of money. 
if you're pumping out $100 million on these Super 2 guys and making more guys Super 2, you're going to pay out a lot more money. So I, I would ante up and I would meet them where they're at or, or close to it and, and then not go anywhere else with them. You divide the players if you're the owners that way because you have most of Major League Baseball, which is the minimum salary players, and you get them on your side. Essentially, you know, you're moving them over and you're giving them what they want. It's a win for the players, but you're not giving out all the money that you should be shaking or raking out to them. Yeah, that's the thing that frustrates me too about about the discourse is that like the other day I was talking about how people were complaining about Max Scherzer driving a Porsche and how they don't really care and they don't make they they, they make too much money. Right, I don't care about that. I mean, obviously Max Scherzer is one of the best. You know, he's the, he's the one percent in terms of baseball talent. Like, of course, he's going to get paid because he is in the one percent of the entire population who's able to do what he can do. But that's not the point. My point was that, like you just mentioned, you talk about the minimum salary. This is this is not something that the players have ever thought about before. Like the last several cycles, they have not given a crap about minimum player salary. All they like the last the last cycle, it was like John Lester and a bunch of other guys who were arguing about, oh, we need more um, days off in the schedule. We need more chefs in the clubhouse. Like. They were really, they were really prioritizing players and from from years through that were going from arbitration forward, for, on like the last, on like the last few CBA negotiations, and they say, and they kind of stated like this year that they're focused on players here that they kind of reverse that and make up for that damage that they caused with that. Yeah, well, it's about it's a bunch of new players who are negotiating too. You've got a lot of the guys who have been part of the bargaining cycle are now retired. So you have a bunch of new guys, which is good. Um, But that's the thing is, is that this is kind of the first time they're fighting for that. And I, when I shared Pat, I shared your uh, John Kenzie Noel article the other day. And someone was like, Oh, they don't really care if they care. They would just accept whatever. And I was like, no, like they, they, this is the first time they're legitimately like you can, you can actually say they are fighting for players that are not millionaires. Like Max Scherzer and and Francisco Lindor. Whatever you think about Francisco Lindor, they are bargaining right now for guys like John Kenzie Noel. For guys like uh, I'm trying to think of who on Cleveland is in the situation right now. Uh, I don't know, Miles Straw. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, like even rookies, oh, like okay. Oscar Mercado. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example, but those oh, are the guys. I mean, oh, Miller. Yeah, something like that for those guys to be paid a little bit better. But yeah, especially guys like Noel. Um, eventually, that's that's the guys they're kind of fighting for. And like I said, this is the first time that's really happening. So I, Max Scherzer doesn't knows he's got his money. He doesn't give a crap about his contract. Yeah, he's paid like crazy, but it's not like he's out there saying, "Well, I need to pay less taxes," or "I." I need this. Like he's already got his money. So he, what is he out there fighting for? He's out there fighting for other guys. Yes. To get paid like him, but he's also fighting for other guys like the youngest players in the sport to get paid better. I mean, I think, I think someone else brought it up. I didn't want to spend a lot this much time on it, but somebody else brought it up the other day that I think major league baseball players for the players that are uh league minimum is the lowest out of all four sports. I think like, Hockey players and NBA players, they get paid more. Is that was that right? You guys ever seen that? I think yeah, MLB was third. 
above what hockey, hockey? I think the hockey players make less. Okay, so NBA and NFL players. I don't even think more. of. I don't even think of the NHL to be honest with you. When I think of the major sports, I like hockey, but I mean, yeah, there's the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball to me. That's the three. I agree with Willie. <laughs> yeah, well, baseball is is careening towards being in the conversation with hockey if they're not careful. Absolutely. I was thinking that earlier. I I saw I looked up two articles today. It was one was the next NBA bro, uh, broadcast deal was worth like eight billion dollars, and the next baseball national TV deal was worth like five hundred million. So I'm like, wow. So you've got one sport that's getting paid eight billion dollars, and the other sport's getting five hundred billion. Million or five hundred million. Sorry, like that's a huge gap. Like. Five hundred million to one billion is a big gap, but NBA has got eight billion on on the on their contract. That just tells you how far behind baseball is in terms of like what what um, cable outlets think of it. Oh, gee, it'll probably be like two hundred billion. I mean, shoot, they have uh, what was it? Supposedly, Amazon offered Sean McVay a hundred million to broadcast to be a broadcaster. They're just they must are must just be printing money over there. It's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. <sighs> and you know what? Apple's trying to buy the rights to, um, for baseball to broadcast baseball digitally. And that'll be interesting to see because um, they're trying to get into the market for sports and stuff like that, just well, how how much money is in it. And one thing for me is there is a market for baseball, but it will, will have to be it will have to involve a lot of experimentation and things like that with them trying to um, reach out to and get the younger crowds and stuff like that. And also, um, digitally with the streaming and stuff like that. And they will also probably have to get rid of the blackouts in order to do that too, correct? Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. But we, we were talking about that before. when you, Before you came on, we were talking about how, uh, was it Peacock or Amazon were talking about getting into the game, into the, the broadcast market for that. And it was like a $150 million contract. We were just saying. Yeah, I know Apple wouldn't toss around that much money, around that much money for uh, MLB's rights. Yeah, we were just saying, man, baseball's having such a hard time generating revenue with a, a brand new $150 million uh, broadcast contract. It's so hard to come across money in baseball, right? <laughs> um, let's see. Today we'll get to the prospect stuff. We're finally 20 minutes in, and I guess we should. that's what we said we we're going to come here to do. That's normal for you uh, and I. We ramble first and then get into the stuff. It's, let's talk about really the yeah, let's talk about the weather for a little bit. Um, let's see. Today we're up to, what, 35? So we're at 35 on the rankings out of, out of 61 this year. I joked last year that um, – I forgot what we ranked last year. Well, I think we ranked 71 players last year, and I think, like, who was it? Jordan Humphreys got uh, picked up on waivers by the Giants the day before his profile was supposed mm-hmm. to run, and he was uh, – he was gone before we could run his profile. I kind of thought this year would be the same thing that we would run these and we'd have some guys traded before we could run their profiles and obviously Good lock night. out his. This, yeah. Well, eh. okay. These end. these things end like the first week of March. I, or no, the last week of March, I should say, I have a feeling baseball's lockout won't be solved by then. So we might run these before it happens. Um, Come on, Justin, at least give us some false hope, man. I've given up all hope. That's I just have. I'm just gonna have all hope. I don't. I don't see what the point is. I'm not gonna. 
I'm not going to get myself hopped up for anything at this point. If it, if it happens, then great. If it doesn't, then I'm already prepared for the worst. Is there anybody you guys want to start with that are in like the bottom tier? We've gotten, I guess we can talk about 60 through 35 at this point. We can talk about the rest, but um, is there anywhere you want to start? I know, Willie, you wrote up Nick Enright, who was um, in the bottom half of the rankings um, early on. He was one that kind of stuck out to me as far as the lower half of rankings. And I know Keith Law mentioned him as kind of a extra player in his rankings for the athletic. Um, is there any, you want to talk about him real quick or anybody else you can think about from that group? Yeah, that surprised me. I'm pulling it up on my phone right now as, as we speak, but um, you know, I was surprised to get him, see him get that national recognition. I'm just thinking middle reliever, somebody that can help the team this year. He's already 25, you know, and I don't think he's going to strike people out like he did, but I think he will be an effective arm on the major league level. Um, somebody that can help this year. And that's an, an area of need for the team is a bullpen arm or two. I don't think they really worry whenever spring training happens, if he were to win a job, assuming he has a major league invite, um, nothing holding him back from going to minor league spring training. Um, so he should be ready right away. But interesting arm, you know, I've, I've mentioned that over the top delivery, Fastball delivery delivers it high, and then that curveball that can get guys out. And he had a really high strikeout rate at Lake County, but he's an older guy, so he should dominate younger competition. Uh, and still did well in Akron. Uh, stuff is there, control is there. Like I said, I just think he's somebody that contribute right away. Um, maybe midseason, I think he could contribute earlier than that. I just nothing to brag about or. He's not going to be a great arm or anything like that. Just somebody who's going to be useful, in my opinion. Hey, be careful what you talk about Nick Enright, because uh, he is right now <laughs> the most read um, prospect profile on our site. His family has been very supportive of everything that's been written about him. His the uh, what was it, the top ten relievers in the system article, and then the yeah. uh, his prospect profile are the most read pieces of those two so far. So uh, he's got a lot of support behind him. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the Enright family. They love him, and they like when we write about yeah, him. Like, so like I said, that. I think he's going to be a good major leaguer. I just, I don't think he's going to be an all star or anything like that. But he's going to be somebody that contributes <laughs> at the major league level. That's when you're saying a guy's going to contribute at the major league level, you're already one of the best players in the world. You know, consider sure. it like that. Uh, Pat, you and I both had a chance to see a lot of these guys. Uh, in the bottom half. So we saw Joan Aranjo last year, Victor Nova, Christian Cairo, Mason Hickman, Raynell Delgado, Gerson Ramirez, Jonathan Rodriguez. Um, any of these names kind of really pop out for you that people should, you know, should pay attention to, even though they're in the bottom half of the rankings. Um, For me looking, I would say Gerson Ramirez is one um, as a relief arm. Um, Basketball slider guy. Um, he can get up to like 97, and he had a pretty decent slide piece, but he got hurt late in the year. Um, and he, he was rumored as like a a, um, a rule five, potential rule five pick just because of um, the potential he had and him being in the Cleveland system and, and them kind of having to spike and be able to develop relief arms, but that didn't happen. So he's back with just, he's back in the system. Um, he's a guy that kind of stood out to me just from the eye test, um, from looking at him. 
Um, that's that, that was that's really the only name for me, the only individual from this group. Yeah, I'm still kind of curious about Victor Nova. Like, I think he can hit a little bit. He's got a good approach at the plate. I have real doubts about his defensive ability. I don't remember being overly impressed with him defensively at third base. Yeah, he's, and- he's average at the positions he can play, and he can play a little bit of everywhere. Um, Christian Cairo's um, approach was pretty interesting when he was up with, um, with the team late in the year, although it was a small sample size. He still um, got on base, and he showed he can run the bases pretty well too. I liked him. He had, he had a lot of good things to say in interviews last year. He was a very interesting guy to talk to just about his mindset and obviously coming from major league bloodlines, you know, his dad playing in the, in the, the majors for the Yankees. But um, so I thought he was a really good interview, but no shock there. Yeah. Jerson Beers, as you mentioned, I think for sure has a major league future. I just don't know if it's here. I don't know how soon Jonathan Rodriguez is the other guy that still strikes me as interesting too. And, I feel like he's been in the system forever and Willie, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. And Pat, you might even know, I I'm pretty sure he was a switch hitter at one point. Now he yep. is just a right-handed hitter. If I remember correctly. Yeah. I think he was early on and then dropped that a year or two ago. Now he's just right. Huh. He did that. Yes. season. Was that this year? Yes. Oh, I know when he was drafted, I could have sworn. I said he was, a, it was a switch hitter, so he's not anymore, but um, he had a nice winter, uh, playing winter ball. I know he had a bunch of outfield assists. He had a couple home runs. He had an interesting year. I still think there's a lot of tools there that he can turn into something. I just don't know. Yeah, he was a seven-year development guy to me because he came into yeah. the organization so long. You know, It was just going to take a longer path for him. But he was a 17-year-old and also, I think, the youngest player coming into the draft. Um, I'll throw out a couple more names. Jack Leftwich, as we kind of ascend the rankings here was drafted from Florida last year, I think in the seventh round. Um, Fireman there for the Gators, closed, started, came in middle relief. He did whatever that he needed to do for the team. Complete team player, can throw mid-90s, touches higher, um, has a slider and a changeup. Potential that he starts, I doubt it, I think because he's already 22, 23. um, Should fast-track bullpen arm, my opinion. That's what I do with him but i think these gators arms haven't been developed very well um so there's that and then um i mentioned alex call i think alex call can play any of the any of the spots on either a platoon or backup basis i don't think he's an everyday player but there's a little bit of pop in the bat uh less than i thought that there would be to be honest with you from what i'd heard of him i watched several games of him and didn't really pop the way that i thought he would does have good speed and play good defense. So I did like call. I know you like you. I, Cleveland seems like they're Florida pitchers. I don't know if they just saw a group of guys that had some easy development left that Florida couldn't unlock or what, but three Florida pitchers last year in the draft. And I'm interested in all of them. I mean, Mace, he's heard up the rankings, but he looks interesting. And then there's, like you said, Leftwich and then, um, Franco Alamon, who was not on the list. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really curious about him. Looks like Pat had to run off for a second. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see where Leftwich starts this year. I, I feel like Leftwich starts at Lake County. As, yeah, that's what should. I'm guessing in the in the at probably the bullpen. So, I, I'd be surprised if they bring him in as a starter when you drafted so many starters last season. 
Um, and what do you do with guys that started in Lynchburg last year? Uh, I mean, maybe Josh Wolf and Bronny Munoz repeat. Um, Aaron Davenport went out to Lynchburg last year too. And then you have other guys from this draft, Doug Nikhazy, Gavin Williams, Tommy Mace, who you mentioned. There's Rodney Boone, uh, Will Dion, Ryan Webb, who's oh, going to be coming yeah. back from energy. energy yeah, energy. let me. <laughs> injury. <laughs> <laughs> he needs some energy. Yeah, let me let me pull up the depth charts. I've been working on the depth charts for the for the website in the last couple of days, and Tanner Bibby, um, who I didn't mention, but you know, a, a guy that I think is possibly a, a fifth starter, um, three four pitches, if I remember correctly, low nineties, but a, a guy that can command and control something that Cleveland you guys like for years, you know. Trenton Denholm is another one of those guys. Yeah. Who went later? Um, but very same model, very same mold. Um, actually, Denholm had round two conversation in 2020, um, but decided to bet on right. himself, and things didn't pan out, and he just wasn't as sharp. Maybe they get a couple of these guys to rebound. Even a, a guy that I think you and I talked about a little bit the other day, David Sharp. Um, some very interesting arms, oh, and, yeah. and a ton of them from last season. I forgot about Davis Sharp a little bit. Yeah, I, I forgot. I haven't put him on my list yet. But, man, like, you could make the case for six or seven starters for each each level. Like mm-hmm. said, there's Lenny Torres Jr. I, I think he goes to Lake County, but I could see him maybe getting a few more starts at, at Lynchburg just because uh, it wasn't the best year for him results-wise and some of the stuff wasn't quite back yet. But uh, you've got him. Bibby, Wolf, Dion, Trenton Denholm, Rodney Boone. I mean, just all these guys that are just so far backed up. Like, I don't even know. And then you talk about Carlos Vargas, Nathan Hankins coming back from Tommy John. They probably started Lake County because they missed a, a developmental year, two developmental years each. And uh, Gavin Williams is probably going to start Lake County, though he's ready for Akron. But this is just so backed up that, like, it's funny if you if you look at what the rosters would look like without the 40 man players. If they can't play in Akron and Columbus, cause I don't think anybody in Lake County will be on the 40 would be down there, but um, though, well, I guess that's not true. I guess uh, Carlos Vargas would, but he's kind of a special case. But if you take away those guys, even then there are just an endless list of pictures. Like here's what I have for Lake County right now. I have Williams, Hankins, um, Nikhazy, Davenport, Leftwich, You've got Alaska Avenue, Zach Hart, uh, Arias Bautista, Cade Smith. You've got Brian Eichhorn coming back. Like I know these aren't all the greatest names. Zach Petway, who was in the draft, Jake Miller, Tyler Thornton, all guys they haven't even mentioned are just where do the, where where do they all go? Like even with no forty man players, Lake County and, and Lynchburg, there are just there's no room for all these arms. I have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, I think that's yeah. where you can bite the bullet and you acquire a few major league pieces and chip in pitching. What do teams want? You know, pitching is an asset. And I've always said, when in doubt, go with pitching or just pile on the pitching, you know? So I think that's the thing that they've done is they pile on pitching. They don't sign or emphasize pitching in the international market for the last several years. Anyways, they haven't, have not put any large expenditures in pitching prospects, just guys that kind of lotto tickets, um, with very few exceptions, you know, like a Carlos Vargas several years ago at this point, uh, Tanash Thomas. And Thomas was a third baseman that they converted to a pitcher. <laughs> and 
what did they do with him? They traded him away. So um, I think you can trade some of this pitching depth. If it's not as far as an add-on, then you can put together a package of even some of the upper tier arms and maybe get an outfielder or get something that will help the team right now. You know, they have to be allowed to do that first. If we think about the possibility of the season <laughs> starting about the players May. in the 40. Well, maybe in May or June or July when spring training starts. <laughs> yeah. Boy, that's going to be an interesting time in baseball. Uh, Pat's back with us. Speaking of Tanaj Thomas, Pat, you, I know you have your interview out there with him uh, that you did for the uh, podcast over Pitcher List. That was a good one. So if you guys haven't checked that out, you definitely want to go listen to that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tanaj is a real cool guy. Um, really interesting, intelligent. Um, it, it's funny. He told me a story about um, when he was um, first starting, when he first started realizing he was good, His he was talking to his dad because his dad played in the pros in the Bahamas. And his dad told him, "You're gonna, you're gonna be a, uh, you're gonna be a pitcher when you go to the pros." And he's like, "No, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm gonna play shortstop." And oh, he's pitching. <laughs> I can't believe that um, Pittsburgh left him off the forty this past winter. That was kind of a surprise. Everyone well, thought he was a given. Maybe they knew something we didn't because you know, I, I guess when there is some sort of end to all of this, I don't think there will be a Rule Five pick, so it's not gonna hurt them. They can add him next off season, you know. Um, who knows? Dice. Uh, and if I remember, to not, Thomas is only maybe 21 still. Um, he's, he's, 22. Up, it's he's, 22. Um, he's, a year, he's a year younger than me. Gotcha. Well, flamethrower. Too young, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> You're too young. Yeah, he was You're too born young to be on this broadcast. Yeah, he was born in 99. I was born in 98. So, yeah. All right. Just remind me, I need to go to bed early tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go uh, to Pat. I'll be right back. <laughs> um, we didn't move on to the next 10, Pat, when you jumped off. We were talking about Jack Leftwich, but uh, moving up that list now that we haven't seen Junior San Quentin yet, but um, there's still a lot of guys in that list that weren't in Lake County last year. We did see Hunter Gaddis, who uh, is a 39. We've seen Jose Fermin for a couple of years, Mike Caprice, Will Brennan. Uh, Diane Frias, who I think had a fantastic uh, winter in Columbia. I'm really interested to see where he starts this year. We talked about Alex Call. Um, any Anybody from this group that stands out to you that, again, I'm just going to keep going around and asking, is there anybody here that you are especially looking at this year or think people, fans, should uh, should keep an eye on? Talking to me? Yeah, you're the only Pat here. Wait, I, I'm sorry. I, I kind of <laughs> lost the train. Um, I apologize. Um, as far as guys grow in this group that stands out, um, I think Jose for me is the obvious name just because of um what he brings to the table and what he's done so far. Um, as a on base high contact guy that plays defense and is a shortstop and just lacks power. And I think um he's gonna wind up somewhere else in my opinion just because of all the guys ahead of him. I think it just winds up that way. Um, you know, Cleveland has always been. Um, organization has kind of churned out talent to other teams as well, whether it be infielders for the last decade or so, whether it be a, a whole bunch of outfielders sick out of producer in the like 90s and 2000s. So, um, it's kind of just an example of that. So, the um, another name that kind of stands out to me is um, Alexia from this. You know, after he kind of had a rough start, he really um, kind of showed that he was a 
a huge power bat for someone who was just a teenager. Um, and it's kind of like when he's giant, like six four, six five, wonder kids are trying to pop up in baseball and now that can play up the middle position and stick there and and and, and also um, bring the power that a large slugger usually brings. I really want to watch Alexi Plenez this year. I'm really excited for him. I know Pat just said he didn't have the greatest start to the year, and he finished the year a little bit better, but Man, I, I don't know. Like is there anybody on, in the system? Really good, but yeah. Is there anybody in the system that has as many tools as he does? He had a hammer injury in 2019, which almost wiped out his season. Then 2020, missed that because of COVID, like all the other minor leaguers. So I mean, and he's, he's a Venezuela. Venezuela. So he was stuck in Venezuela. Yep. Yeah. Um. So he didn't get the development time. When you look and he missed essentially two years and he did what he did last year, I think it's pretty impressive. Um, like I said, you know, early last year, don't even look at the numbers for the first half of the season. I don't care about those. If you look at the second half and what players did the second half of the season, that's what I want to see and how they responded. I think after about a month, that's when he really kicked in. Uh, I think he slows down and ends up a corner outfielder with speed, power, and, you know, there's some Will Benson to his game and Oscar Gonzalez to his game too. So, cause he doesn't take a walk, but he was, he was a little bit more selective than I thought he would be uh, just knowing his reputation going in and then watching him and watching several games of him. He took more pitches than I thought he would. There was one game in particular, which I charted and I think he got to like nine or 10 pitches, which just shocked me, but he was fouling off and he was battling with the pitcher Pitcher come back with, I think, four curveballs on him inside on his hands. And he ended up hitting one for like a double to the outfield, which impressed me that, you know, he made the adjustment on the curveball. He was fouling them off before he finally did put it in play. Now, that's all good signs I, for you, hitter. I really, I hope it isn't coming in Oscar Gonzalez. And Gonzalez has obviously worked his way into prospect status, even if he's got kind of a low, low floor at this point. But, um, I hope Plenez doesn't come there because, like you said, there's some Will Benson in the game there. There's power. Yep. There's some, some speed. Tools. There's yeah. yeah he might just he, is, you know, he might just be a big dude that that can actually move. Maybe he's quicker than he is fast. Yeah, I I hope he's he starts the year at Lake County. I'm excited to see him just because there there is just so much to his game. It is it is a lot like Will Benson. I think. Um, okay. um, I just want to see that pan out. What were you going to say, Pat? Yeah, I was going to um, bring him another name. Um, I want to see Joy Cantillo next year, but um, like you said, just another picture where where they put him and, and how do they kind of prioritize him and stuff like that in the full. Um, Tobias Myers, too, they traded for him um, from Tampa Bay. Well, I think was was he's from Tampa Bay, right? Yeah, that's yeah. where they got him from. He was drafted by the... Was it the Astros that, that picked him? And then he went, no, that was Peyton Badfield. Somebody picked him first and they traded him to Tampa Bay, but that's where Cleveland got him from. Yeah, I, I have no idea where he's going to start a reliever. Um, Isaiah Jerome's really that interesting. Group. Yeah, his other guy should start at Lynchburg. Yeah, Durang, I wonder if Durango and Green both end up at Lynchburg because they both had a significant amount of at-bats in, in Arizona. Great. Can you can you imagine that outfield? I mean, they're going to catch everything. That's got to be some of the most speed out there between those two. I mean, yeah, they're going to get on base every time they they 
they steal everything, yeah, and steal everything. It was really interesting to see them both um kind of show the advanced base on um, base skills that they had and the contact skills, but um it seems like the uh, that a lot of the um the the hitting in Asia was really advanced this year compared to years past. Another guy I really liked from this this group in the forties was Will Brennan too, and yep. I don't want to say. You know, we're, we could talk about Kai Tom or not Kai Tom Cheese. That was a bad one. Uh, Stephen Kwan, in a, in a little bit, but Will Brennan. Uh, I don't. I don't think he's going to have the same trajectory. But he added like a little more. He said. He said early in the year he was working on getting his hips into his swing more. He didn't have much of a load in college. He was just very an upper half hitter, so he didn't hit for any power. He said he was working on that last year. And he only slugged 410 for the year, but that's another guy who I love his approach to the plate. He can hit, um, he can draw a walk, he can run, he plays great. I thought he played great center field. I don't know what you thought of him in center field, Pat. I like his arm. He was up to, to 93 as a pitcher in college, I think. But I, I loved all the skills and tools he had there. I think the only thing he's lacking is just some legitimate power. So maybe that makes him a, a fourth outfielder, but I think he can play all three spots and he has a good arm. and. I think if he can, you know, add a little bit of a of a, a load to his swing with his hips, and he can maybe you know find a way to get fifteen home runs, that's a guy that's really interesting. Um, he's okay center fielder to me. I feel like um, he may not have the range to play center fielder at the major league level um consistently um in most outfields just because you know the Lake County outfield is a little bit small um. But he has an arm for it because you know he was up to ninety three from the left side, which is nothing to sneeze at. So, um, he has that. But he can definitely play a corner, and he's he's pretty he's a really good route route runner, and he can read the ball real well too. So, yeah, if he just adds a little bit of power to his game, I think he becomes a really interesting prospect. And last year was kind of the first year he had sort of a that lower half load into his swing. So I wonder what that does to him next year. Um. Milan Tolentino was last week, was this past week in our rankings. Speaking of guys who are adding power, I'm, I'm loved his arm at shortstop last year. I love the defense. I know we'd like that in, in high school, uh, Willie, but that's another guy who is uh, added some strength to his frame. And I kind of wonder if there's going to be some untapped pop in his swing now, too. And yeah, he's got natural lift in it, the way that he has that uppercut in his swing. So he was popping stuff up in the air. Um, Another guy that watched watched a lot of pitches. Um, I charted several games on him, watching him, and that was the one thing. It seemed like every at bat he was six pitches, seven pitches, which I think is really good for such a young hitter, especially against older competition. And he did well against older competition. Something I like to look at. If you look at the numbers in Litchburg, it wasn't very impressive. But if you could see him with maybe ten more pounds of weight and strength on his frame. Um, something that's going to the outfield and ends up caught, ends up past an, an infielder in front of an outfielder and falls for a single or a double, you know. So that that extra strength matters. He's added some and was a singles hitter before, but I think there's more to him. Um, I think he could get in better shape, and that's not a slight saying that. I just mean adding some more bulk to the upper half, and even in his thighs, that'll add power. But I think there's – um, probably another five or 10 more pounds that he can add to the frame and still stick it short. So uh, we'll see very young hitter that played on the um, famous circus 
circuit, if you will. Um, excellent defender. You know, I've seen videos of him on YouTube just picking it, playing with the ball out there in the infield and throwing it behind his back to other infielders and stuff like that. He's going to make spectacular plays and make the spectacular look easy at times. Um, strong arm. I think potential plus defender or better at some point. I didn't didn't put that on him yet because he's not a finished product and we don't know where he ends up positionally. Maybe he slides over to second base, but he can handle short. He can handle second. He can handle third right now. Yeah, I'm excited to see him. I think he'll start in Lake County next year playing shortstop, but they've got some other guys too. They're going to have to rotate in, uh, which I'll be curious about. Pat, I know you wrote up uh, Will Benson is your first prospect report. We could talk about him, but I kind of wonder if there's just not much. It's kind of you know, more to say. Um, really yeah. I mean, everybody kind of knows who he is and, and what he does at this point. Is whether it, will he make it work or not? Yeah, I'm. I'm rooting for the guy. He's. You know, we talked about Planez being a lot like him, but Will Benson as a person's really cool. And and if he ever puts the bat on the ball enough to play in the majors, I think you could see some special things. I know a lot of people, there were some people making comments on Twitter saying it was another first round bust. And I, I think that Will Benson will, will play in the major leagues at some point. I don't know if it's going to be as good as a first round pick is going to be, but I, I mean, to me, if you make it to the majors, I don't think you're a bust. That's, that's where my kind of line is. I don't know how you can be. I mean, if you make it past I mean, when he was pretty good at he was really good at double A this year. I mean, if you, I mean, if you could do that, I don't think you're a bust. I mean, playing the major leagues is hard. I mean, <laughs> playing the double A. I mean, playing in double A is hard. I mean, I don't think people realize that double A and triple A are really equivalent to other foreign leagues in in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I mean, saying he's a bust is unfair. I. I agree with you. Um, when he was drafted, he was always a seven-year development guy because the bat was behind. Um, so in theory, or the way I look at him, he should be 25 when he debuts, which is the major league average. But your guy with a power, power arm and brings a ton of power and speed, um, even as big as he is, you know, um, way too early to judge still. He's not a finished product. That he's at AAA, that's good. It might take him a year two years at, in Columbus. I think he's a potential platoon bat. Um, does he make it? I don't know. Maybe he ends up hitting 220, but he can mash a bunch of homers, play good defense, throw a lot of guys out with that arm that he has. So, you know, there there's a role for him if they're and patient. He's a yeah. Guy too. Yep. And glue matters. He'll get, so. Yeah, he'll and he'll get on base if he if he hits 220, he'll get on base. I mean, the 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 approach is a little bit borderline. Passive. passive yeah I, I think that's an issue but i also think that he knows that he works a deep count he can find a pitch that he can get his arms around on so um and, and you know he i think he knows what pitches he can do damage with too i think he's smart enough to know that and um you know why offer a pitch that if he already has swing and miss issues why take a pitch that he knows he can't destroy so you might as well either walk this is this is what baseball is either you know strike out or you destroy a pitch and better off just trying to see if you can create a walk instead of a strikeout. So I got a question for you both. Okay. Um, Would you guys play Will Benson 81 games per year in center field as a major league level? I think it depends on who else your options are. Is that, is that a cop out? 
No, that's fair. I think it depends. I think if Miles Straw's not there, you could. I didn't hear you. I'd put him in right field and take advantage of that arm. Yeah, I mean, I could, I would put him in right field. I was put him like I would do him like the George Springer thing. I think I would. I was I was put him between right and center. Just because. Yeah, I, I would say like forty and forty. Fair. I I mean, heck, the the Guardians played what Lonnie Chisholm and and uh, Jordan Luplo in center field in the past. Yeah, defensively, they, they defensively, punted, it's not going to be worse. They really punted center field defense before. Yeah, I mean, Jason Kipnis started a playoff game out there. So, yeah, it was just all in the name of offense. But... Hey, that worked out pretty good for them. He did. I think he, he got a hit, hit, and I think he made a catch. So, yeah, don't don't hate on Carlos Santana, future Guardians Hall of Famer. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, I think so. This whole group to me, this 30 through 20 group is interesting. Um, we just talked about Will Benson. I think I know I know Willie wants to talk about Ryan Webb. Ryan Webb, I was reading your report on Ryan Webb, Willie, and I'm I'm reading it and I'm like, this guy reads he's writing like it should be a 50, but the only thing we're discounting is the Tommy John effect. So I but everything else you wrote about him makes me think, man, this guy Willie thinks this guy might be a top like 20 prospect the way he wrote about him, but the only thing we're holding back is the Tommy John. Yeah, and I had him higher than anybody else. I was higher on him than Prospects Live. I was higher on him than MLB or Baseball America. So, you know, even with that late first-round smoke, I, I thought he was somebody that would do well. Um, I put a lazy comp on him and said, yeah, I think he could be something similar to Logan T. Allen. Um, different pitchers, obviously, but I think that's what you're looking at in terms of he can bring it and he'll bring control. Um I think the control will improve, but he shortened the arm circle. And, um, you know, I, I think four pitches left-handed and he gets good spin on the stuff too. Uh, I think there's a lot of upside, a lot, a lot to play with for Cleveland with him, you know, and they don't have to push it. They can take their time, let him bounce back. I think his floor is a very solid setup, man. Um, but I think he's possibly a number three starter if he bounces back uh, or if he doesn't come all the way back, maybe he's a back end, you know, arm. Yeah. I would say that um, the two guys in this, in this group right here, this grouping of the thirties, Ryan Webb and Aaron Bracho, I think both those guys have potential to move up this time next year. I think they could both move way up and, you know, we discounted Webb a little bit because of Tommy John, but I know I know Bracho didn't have a great year at Lake County, but I don't know. He got a, a huge signing bonus. Clearly, Cleveland believes in him, and, and he was one of the you know the most sought after players on the on the international market that year. I mean, he came in with this group with Noel, with Belair, with Rocchio, and he got more money than all of them. Oh, and I know money's not everything, but obviously well, they thought he was good. From my memory, um, Bracho was like. Um, he was playing in pro tournaments as early as like 13, 12, 13 years old for Venezuela's yeah. national team. Um, so he was really, so he was really, um, scouted a lot, like, um, or up there with, um, Gabriel and those guys, uh, in those realms in, in Venezuela. Um, but and he actually got the most money out of everybody in that class for Cleveland. Um, yeah. even more than Valera did, um. And he was thought of more highly than Valera. He was ranked highly. He was ranked higher than Valera was by um, Baseball America, even Baseball America. Um, he was coming out. He, I think he was like third 
No, I think I'm thinking at MLB.com, but um, but yeah, um, he was he was ranked, he was in like the top ten, I think, for that international class, and to see him struggle like he did was really was really bad because I didn't really see any flashes in the games that I saw him. So, and it was interesting that even on base skills didn't really translate either, like I like they should like we, we thought they would have. Yeah, and he spent all of 2020 at the alternate training site. He actually was able to to be there. So I'm not really sure. I know it's not the same, but you know we had guys like Brian Rocchio who spent all all of 2020 in Venezuela during the pandemic, and Bracha was able to actually be with the team at the alternate, alternate training Republic. site. He was actually, oh, is that where he was? He was in the Dominican Republic, and I think that's how he got there. But huh. I know I know he had like resting or something in DR. That's how that's how he avoided going to the back to Venezuela, I think. Okay. I know he was just stuck, unable to get to the US to train. So he was not part of the alternate training site, but Bracho was, and look which one of those two had the better Yeah, I was talking about Bracho who was in DR. Oh, okay. Rokio. Okay. Rokio I was thought... in Venezuela. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um hmm. I think that's how I think that's how Bracho got to the alternate site. Oh, he, he didn't actually go back home. He, I think, I think he said the academy. That would make more Bracho, sense. Bracho okay. got stuck in, in the Dominican Republic and ended up staying there. Um, yeah, the entire like the and, and Rocchio went back home and was going to come back, and got stuck in Venezuela. Right, because I remember reading that they were both actually in the Dominican Republic when it first happened when yeah. everything got shut down because they were getting ready to come stateside. I think. Hmm. I know they were reaching out to some internet personalities asking around to see if they could find some of the players because they weren't sure of some of their whereabouts at one point in time. That's crazy. That's just, wow. That's just wild. I don't, I, I still have a lot of a hope for him though. I, I think that there's still enough talent in there. I know, I know Pat, we didn't see it much this year in Lake County. Like you said, a lot of pop-ups and a lot of strikeouts that makes for a low batting average. I don't. I don't know what happened with him. A twenty-four percent infield fly ball rate. So that's that's really high when you combine that with thirty-one percent strikeout rate. That's you know a giant zero for your batting average because pop-ups are not hits and, and strikeouts are not hits. But I don't know. I, I feel like there's too much in there to discount him. So I'm I'm still banking on a uh, a return this year, a comeback and, for, yeah, for Aaron and everybody. Rochelle. And everybody was um, giving him praise from the AZR reports too. And the Moaning Valley stuff. Yeah, he was in 2019. He was pretty good. I mean, he hit the crap out of the ball in Arizona, and he only spent a couple games in Mahoning Valley, but he hit the ball very well there. And I was expecting him to be a lot better in Lake County, but I don't know. I'm not ready to to throw in the towel on him at all there. Let's see who else in this group. We talked about Oscar Gonzalez earlier. Uh, Carson Tucker didn't play at all last year. That's crazy. Willie, I think you and I have exhausted the Carlos Vargas conversation for some time now. I, I'm I'm ready for Carlos Vargas, the reliever, but I think we've exhausted that on enough podcasts at this point with uh, how we feel about him in the future. Uh, elite slider. There's more to him than, than being just stuck in the bullpen. Potential for a starter there. I think the changeup is potentially even average. Um, Good frame can add some more strength to it. Doesn't look like he really has. He has shortened his arm circle too. Um, I think velocity will probably stay. What I saw him, I, I don't recall seeing him below ninety-five 
and I watched him, I think, five times when he was with Mahoning Valley. I don't remember ever seeing him hit below 95 when I saw him. Uh, I went back and watched some video of him um, back in December, I think it was. I did see 94, 95, and a lot of 97s. And, and word was he hit 100. I wonder out of the pen if he'd hit 100. Uh, but I don't. I don't want to wear everyone out with Carlos Vargas' conversation either, though. So <laughs> we've done it a couple times on on different podcasts. Guy that we really have liked a lot. There's Tom, Tommy Mason in this group. Uh, Ethan Hankins come back from Tommy John. Uh, Pat, you mentioned Tobias Myers. I'm really interested to see where he goes. I I'm trying to go through the death charts and just see where he fits. Like even even when the guys in the 40 are allowed to play. Um, I have him as, as a starter in Columbus, but even that's close because that's taken a couple guys out of the rotation. Um, if I put him there, I mean, the uh, rotation in Columbus, you know, could look like Eli Morgan, Cody Morris, Connor Pilkington, Peyton Badfield, Logan T. Allen. I don't know how you fit Myers in the rotation. And that's, that's like I said, that's not even including Kirk McCarty, who was a starter last year. That's not including... Um, Adam Scott, who should start a triple A this year. Um, I, I don't know where he fits. I'm, I'm definitely interested to see him, but I just don't know where he ends up on the depth chart. Where, if he's a reliever or a starter, but I'm really excited to see what he does when they're allowed to play. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, how stacked you could say the triple A rotation has been for Cleveland um, the last few years at certain points. I think the triple rotations would be better than some major league team starting rotations. It really is. I mean, I think, I think, uh, Willie, we've talked about this before. Would you take, I know, I know the Orioles have John Means, but would you take Eli Morgan, Cody Morris, and Connor Pilkington and, and Peyton Badfield and Logan T. Allen over the Orioles rotation this year? Like, I would. Yes. Yes. I don't, <laughs> I'm not even going to pause and look at the rest of what they have in Baltimore. I'm going to say yes. I don't care about John Means. He'll probably end up traded anyways if Baltimore's smart. Um, they're a long way from competing. Might as well as make the most of them. Um, but I, I think highly of Cody Morris and Peyton Battenfield. And, you know, I just think, what do you do with all of these arms? Except for either one or two of them helps Cleveland in the bullpen, or you include one or two of them in a deal. Um as I alluded to, or, I mean, maybe you trade some of the younger guys and you don't really have to worry about some of that backup, but I think teams are going to want guys in AAA. They they capitalized on their own depth in, in a way, trading Junior Caminero and bringing in Tobias Myers, which I thought was, it's crazy that they went out after all the conversation we had about all of the talent that they needed to roster and they go and acquire a player that needs to be rostered. And he's a starting pitcher. They've always been about yeah. adding depth, though, you know. So I, I mean, I look at it like that. It's like sometimes they're so smart that I'm like, did they outsmart themselves on this one, or is this maybe precluding something else happening later on? Yeah, they they traded from a position of depth, and they added to a position instead of trading for an outfielder, they went out and traded for another pitcher. That's. Uh... Very bizarre. Double down on the I pitching, mean, like I said earlier, though. You know, bring in when you want pitching, double down. And if you have pitching, you can get anything you want, the way I look at it. I have mm-hmm. to go back and look at how many pitchers are on our top 61, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we have more pitchers on here than any other spot in the system. 
there's a lot. And then of course you had <laughs> last year's draft class and, and frankly, what was it? 14, 15 players that they signed in the international free agent period, um, January the 15th. There's at least 25. Yeah. But they all haven't been announced yet. Um, oh yeah, that's true. They've, they announced two pitchers out of the 15 or 16. Whatever oh, I was talking about the total, um, the total pitchers on our list. Oh, there's oh, 20, okay. yeah, there's 25. There's yeah, at least I, I 25. Can, yeah, it's it's wild that almost a third of our list is is pitchers. That's just where the system's at. But yeah, none of none of the international class is adding pitchers yeah, to the draft. Out. And that's what I'm saying. You're going to see more. You're going to see more pitchers added in this coming draft. Whenever the draft is, who knows? You know. Yeah, I can't believe that hasn't been decided on. That's that's another thing that's insane. Um. We've gone through some of this group in the 20s here. You know, we left off at Ethan Hankins. There's Nick Nikolajak, who I think, you know, could be up this year whenever they're allowed to play. Um, not on the 40, but um, if they have room for him at the end in the bullpen, you know, there's there's all this stuff. with the, What are they going to do with, like, um, Sam Henches and, and the other Logan Allen because they're out of options. they got to throw them in the bullpen. And the rest of the bullpen's kind of filled out with Class A, Karen Chatko, Sandlin, and uh, uh, Trevor Steffen. I keep forgetting about Trevor Steffen, to be honest, even though he had a good year last year. Um, so did they. Yeah, yeah, so did they at the, until the, like, the end of the year when they had nobody left to pitch, and they were throwing Alex Young every other game for some reason. Uh, Pat, you mentioned Joey Cantillo. Uh, he, he pitched like three games last year. That was a, such a bummer. I was... I was super high on him when they traded for him, and he only threw three games last year for that core injury. But another guy who's not on the 40, I have no idea where he starts next year. If he's a, I assume he's going to be a starter, but that double A rotation we're talking about, Joey Cantillo, if he's if he's in the rotation at double A, he's with Daniel Espino, he's with Xavier Curry and, and Tanner Burns. And and Mason Hickman and basically the entire Lake County pitching rotation last year, but then you've got a bunch of guys who also pitched for Akron a year ago that are, are still hanging around, like your um, Thomas Ponticelli's and and a couple other guys that were in that rotation, Eli Lingos. But yeah, I, I'm interested to see what they do with with uh, with Joey Cantillo this coming year. Um. Doug Nikhazy, I don't know. What do we think? We think Lake County. Does he skip low A? Yes. They do the they do the same thing they did with Logan T. Allen and Tanner Burns and Mason Hickman. I think you put Mace, Nikhazy, and Williams all in Lake County right away. Even Jack Leftwich. Um, I think you could make the argument argument for Tanner Bibby. Uh, we know that they like Jake Miller, so. I don't know if he'll get pushed out to Lake County or if he ends up in Lynchburg, um, but there's definitely be good, there's definitely going to be some guys piggybacking. The question is, is who's piggybacking? Yeah, I think we're going to see that all year this year from all those areas. Who guys have to do that, and that doesn't even include like you mentioned earlier, Josh Wolf and Lenny Torres. I mean, maybe they go back to Lynchburg for a couple of games, but. I think they probably start at Lake County for the most part, and Lake County ends up with with Gavin Williams and 
you, like we said before, you have to find room for Hankins and Vargas to come back. And then there's Heron Davenport. And I think Will Dion was a starter when he, I know he only th- threw a few games, but I think he was a starter. So is he a guy who is a starter? Is he a reliever? Like I, I and, and what about still, Arias, no uh, Bautista? Uh, he had a really good year in low A. I, yeah, he did. Yeah, you have to give him a chance. Uh, Zach Hart, you know, I, I think Zach Hart should be in the pen right now. He's already 24, 25 this year. Put him in the pen and let that curveball play. Yeah, he missed a ton of bats last year. Um, <laughs> there's Tanner Burns, too, going to double A that we didn't even talk yeah. about. He, Pat, <laughs> Pat, did you see – did you see Tanner Burns after the elbow injury last year? Yes, I saw his first start. I thought that his – I mean, he was coming off an in, off an injury, but I really thought that the rest of the year after that, he just didn't look the same. the same. Yeah. His I hope he's healthy. He was down a little bit and stuff, but, yeah, he wasn't the same. Yeah, the stuff was not crisp. The velocity was down, and, and it just seemed like every count he was ever – every at bat was like a – a seven or eight pitch at bat. He just had no ability to to put guys away early in the bat. So I hope that was just a, a rust thing. Yeah, me too. Uh, do you want? Can I skip Petey Halpin, Willie, at nineteen, or do we have to dedicate a whole minute to him? No, we can do it a whole podcast later. Okay. That'll, yeah, next month in April, we'll do it when the season's about to kick off. We'll. Uh, We'll do a whole hour on Petey Halpin for the Petey Halpin cult fans of the podcast for whatever reason. Xavier uh, Curry, a guy who was not even in our rankings uh, last winter slash spring, uh, is now 18 in our rankings this year. Um, got to got to double A last year, pitched in the playoffs with the, the Rubber Ducks, had a couple good starts, and... It's kind of recognized that I mean he's he's gotten so far up the up the list and up up, up uh, people's radar that he is on fantasy baseball's radar now like as a sleeper. That's how far he's come from not pitching since his college days in 2018 or 2019 um, to being you know he was unranked and now he's on fantasy baseball radar. That's such a journey for Xavier Curry and. I'm curious to see where his where things take him if he's a starter if he's a reliever. Obviously, the floor is a little bit lower if he's a reliever, but um, firmly, I think this year in the Akron rotation, I think he is what he is. You know, I think he's kind of a polished product. I don't mean that in a bad way. I think there's potential for a fifth starter for a team or even a very good bullpen arm. But I still think he can start and be a fifth starter. Um, get a good 150 innings out of him, and and that's you know a heck of a return on a guy that you know you rolled the dice on in the seventh round that I think was coming in from a shoulder injury, if I remember right. Yeah, I think that was what it was. Yeah, it was, and um, he didn't really start pitching full time until um, until he got to college. So, yeah, he's. Uh... I don't know, he's still like you say he's kind of a polished product, but he's also like Pat just said he he wasn't a pitcher full time in college, doesn't have a lot of pro experience pitching. So I feel like until he still, got to college, yeah, like, start so, pitching full time until he got like he said he didn't really he said he, he's really just not starting to look himself as a pitcher. Like from this is from my interview I did with him. Was, I just noticed from that conversation. 
Yeah, so I, I think there's still him. some some ceiling there with him. Definitely. I don't I don't think you get any more velocity or anything out of him though. But I think oh for sure, but um, just the nuances of pitching and stuff like that. Yeah. I saw someone, it was somebody who does a lot of fancy analysis, and I think they do it. Uh, it's a lot of uh, data and numbers-based and pitching metrics, but somebody said he has a bad fastball and that his fastball is kind of weak like Eli Morgan's. No, and- that's, that's very wrong. So that's pretty much the, the highlight of his profile is his fastball. Yeah, I I, well, I think I feel like the curveball is a little bit better. It might be his money pitch, but I I, I don't I don't think it's a bad fastball. Like I think no, I to mean, compare I mean, it to Eli Morgan is just so wrong because Eli Morgan's yeah, fastball is is his is weak. He doesn't he has some spin on it, but Curry's the way his the way his arm uh, arm slot is and and the release because it pairs so well with the curveball and because he it spins also it up has a little bit of carry too, and it also actually could touch ninety four ninety five. I just remember that from um, just from. Just some tidbits we get from my guy up there. But. Yeah, yeah he, so he I saw that. I was like, I, he touches ninety four on a pretty consistent basis. Yeah, I didn't see ninety five from him last year, but I'm not surprised either, though. You know, so get a little yeah, adrenaline. I just, I just, I just yeah, thought that analysis was way off. Yeah, I agree. I never yeah, seen anything below ninety two on there. At worst, his fastball is average. Yeah, I would I would say average is, is about right. I mean, it, it nine if he tops out at ninety four, ninety five, that's about average velocity wise. But it's because, like you said, he has to carry because of the spin, and it works so well up in the zone, and he's able to turn it with the curveball. I think that plays it he up a really little bit. Well, which is why I think it works really well. And he mixed goes in. on the strikes too. Yep. Yeah, it's now, a guy with a lot of command. Really I think last year is getting the strikes, and a lot of people were willing to offer on that fastball up that they couldn't catch up to. Yeah, they couldn't get on top of it. And I think Shane Bieber's proven too. Any any time you have a guy who even if it's just one pitch, if you have a guy who can command a pitch like 70 or 60 grade, that makes the pitch that much better. Because yeah, they get, they exploit that so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh okay, we're gonna skip we said we'll skip Petey Halpin. Brian Lavastita uh, it's 16, another guy who's on the 40 who, you know, isn't getting reps right now, which is unfortunate. I think there were some questions when the list came out, and I know we've talked about this before, but we have Lavastead at 16, we have Bo Naylor at, at 9, and obviously Lavastead had the better of the year of the two, and um, is on the 40, even though Naylor's not eligible until next year. But my explanation is that I still have – I still have Naylor as an everyday starter catcher and the defensive tools are better than Lavastita still. And I still think the bat's going to come around. I mean, it was his bat was good for his age and experience level at Lake County in 2019. I think people looked at the overall line and were kind of underwhelmed, but when you consider that he was 19 years old and um, didn't have a really good first half. And then one of those guys who you just look at the second half, things are much better, but I know things were disastrous for him in, in 2021, but I think the bat will rebound, and I think the defensive tools are still superior to Lavastida. So that's why I think he fits better as a top 10 prospect, even though Lavastida had the better year. Do you guys have anything different as an explanation for that? Um, can I go? Go for it. Um, so for me, with Bo Naylor, I feel like um, you got to kind of start with the fact that he's – 
he's been on like an extreme fast track for a high school catcher, like ex- like extreme, like like ninety nine percentile, like to the point where he may be like the most fast track high school catcher ever, like like no hyperbole. Just kind of when you when you really, when you really look at it, um, he started on a rookie ball, then he just skipped him straight to full season A ball at the age of nineteen, which is crazy, and then. Who's at the alternate site, and then he bounces back, and you put him in double A, which is which is crazy. You have him skip another level at the age of twenty one for for a catcher who missed your development. On top of that, in a unique situation, um, on top of also kind of being a, a bit of a convert as well, because you know Bo and also played multiple positions um, before um, he was a pro, as well as uh, Lobsy today. Well, obviously was a shortstop, but yeah. Um, so I think they're really, I think they're really kind of trusting in his defense and, and also, um, and also maybe operating with the logic that they can let him cook in the minors for a couple more years. I think came in a lot of season because they were really aggressive with both of them, with, with both of them this year too. I mean, I mean, they've, they've been aggressive with them throughout their careers in a way that they haven't been with other players. And it's interesting because they both share traits of with that, with that athleticism and stuff. That they that you really don't see from catchers typically, that you're trying to see with catchers now, not in just in our system, but throughout the minors. Yeah, they're both catching converts. They were both infielders before getting to the pros. At least um, Lavastia only played catcher for a few games in college, but they they have never hesitated. You're right; they have never hesitated with Naylor. I mean, there was no no doubt about them sending him to Lake County in 2019. They were they were sure he could handle it because of the circuits he played out at high school and then the same thing last year. So they seem pretty sure he can handle himself. And I know the numbers weren't there, but they, they obviously have a lot of confidence in him to handle himself at those levels. And honestly, he could have done worse in a regular year. I mean, yeah, if you want to, I mean, power wise, things were okay. They were okay. He walked a lot. That That's about, where things that another guy too, I can't, I can't explain is the pop-ups went up. He went to 21% in field fly balls. That's and uh, 50%, 52% fly ball rate. So it just seems like he was trying to elevate everything. So I wonder if they try to even him back out a little bit, if he was trying to hit the ball in the air a little bit too much. Willie, do you, do you, you know, see, do you see any reason why we would have lava seed over Naylor? And it's such a big gap. I didn't, I guess I, Looking yeah. at it now, it's a big gap for how how different of a year they had, but I don't see any reason why Naylor still shouldn't be ahead of Lavastida. No, I I felt coming into the draft when Naylor was drafted, he was a top fifteen guy because of the bat. Um, uh, looking at him playing in Double A and he's twenty one years old, league average is twenty three. Um, well, let's wait a year and, and say something about him. You know, I mean, that's okay. it's, go ahead, Pat. I was going to say just for catchers, you could probably add a year, a year or two onto that as well. Yep. yep. And, and a conversion guy at that, you know, so he should be in theory 24, 25 before he makes it to the major leagues. That's not the timeline he's, he's looking at. He's looking at what, 23, 23. maybe. So I think he's ahead of where he is and he's an excellent defender. I remember watching him blocking a lot of balls for Nick Enright and Enright's, um, and right's curveball is nasty at times, and he can be um, he can lose command. Um, as good as his control is, he can still lose command. And that that sucker bouncing in the ball or bouncing right in front of him and him blocking it. Saw one, I think it was a late innings game. 
and he blocked a pitch deep in the dirt. And I was like, man, that's a, that's a big league level blocker back there. Just seeing him gun down on a runner at second base too. Um, I came away really impressed and, and I wasn't even watching Naylor. Uh, I was watching the pitcher that was on the mound. I think it was Enright. Nice. Yeah, 10 pass balls last year. I don't know if he had – I think there's still some, obviously, some defensive development for him mm-hmm. uh, to go. But, you know, like you said, uh, had to catch a lot of tough pitchers. But he threw out 30% of runners last year in double-A. Um, I would say 30% any at any level, throwing 30% of runners out is pretty good. Yeah, I've heard that Cleveland where he likes his framings too, his framing ability too. Yeah, I haven't seen – I have to go back and look at the metrics on him. I know Lavastida graded out that really well. From like what I heard from like people like from like word of mouth search, like sources in front of Cleveland's front office say such and such. So that's where. I'll yeah, it w- wouldn't surprise me. I would. Uh, well, I mean, think of how many how many pitchers praised Lavastida's work this year yeah. in Lake County mm-hmm. too. Yeah, uh, Lavastida got a lot of praise for his defense and. One thing that surprised me about Lobsita was how athletic he was, especially um, from a base running standpoint and his ability to steal bases. That was really interesting to me. I would say I that – I think I would get him a 50 run. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think uh, I think Naylor and Lobsita both have what you would call average speed for – maybe above average speed for a catcher. I, I think – Average for a catcher, overall. it's above average, definitely. Yeah. I think it's average speed, 45 to 50 speed for both in general. That's that's an interesting dynamic to have in your two best catching prospects. Unfortunately, the only two catching prospects on our list uh, this year. So that's a position I'm curious to see what they do with uh, going forward. <laughs> that's they, where um, they converted another guy to catcher, um, Jonathan Lopez. That's right. Lopez caught a couple games last year. There was somebody else too. Yeah, I was like, oh, uh, not that he's on the list. It matters, but Caesar Draga. I was I was looking through some stats trying to find a way to build the depth charts, and Caesar Draga also played catcher. I hadn't heard him before, but um, they're moving guys around. I think that's where the uh, death of Andreas Melendez really shows within the organization. As unfortunate as it is, you know, I, I hate to move toward let's talk about the baseball side of it because it's a 20 year old young man that lost his life. Um, and there's a family that's still grieving that loss and teammates that are grieving that loss too. And he had a big impact on that org. It's weird watching Lynchburg and seeing him back there and, and knowing he's gone now and knowing that yeah, really. he potentially had a major league future too. Yeah. They yeah, really liked it. Did. Yeah, it was, that was tough to watch. I was watching some Gabriel Rodriguez highlights and, um, you know, caught some of Melendez too. And I was like, man, this is, it's strange to watch and, and definitely unfortunate. Um, the defensive tools were definitely there for him and clearly had an impact on his teammates after what they said about him um, after he passed. Um, let's go over the top 15, Richie Palacios. John, I, this is, I don't know. This was the hardest thing to do for me. Was it was like the top, the top 20 was really hard. I think we could have gone a number of ways. I think Richard Plaza and upgraded. Oh, for sure. I, I, on we have him underrated, or you think just in general? A little bit of both, but mostly in general. 
Yeah, I mean, he's fantasy, the fantasy side of things has really caught hold of him because of the OBP skills and and the speed. I I have trouble seeing where he fits on the infield just with how loaded the infield is. He's going to have to make it work in the outfield, I think, just with the way the system's set up. But um, I think he can. I think he can play the outfield, and I think his bat will, will be enough to play out there. Um, I think it just adds a little bit of an element to his game that he can play second base. I don't think he'll ever be able to play shortstop, but I'm – I just like Curry, I'm I'm surprised at how much how well he came back. You know, he didn't play all of 2019 basically, and then didn't play in 2020. And you know, now he's on the 40 man roster. That's another guy who just took off really quick, and and he tore it up at AAA and AA. Yeah, he really didn't have a lull in his game at any point. I mean, he just was he was consistent throughout. He was getting on base, hitting a ton of doubles. He swiped some bases. And he stole 20 bases this year. Um, was a solid defender, both second in the outfield. I mean, two, not the not the batting averages, you know, much these days, but uh, two ninety nine and two ninety two for a guy who is going to have to make his living getting on base, hitting two ninety nine and two ninety two is definitely going to help him with his walk rate. So the skills are there for sure. It's going to be interesting to see his, his battle with uh, if 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 outfield is where he has to go. He's going to have to battle Stephen Kwan, which is going to be tough for him because Stephen Kwan has obviously come a long way too. And I think the knock on him is you're not going to see the power from the outfield position, but he's going to be an OB guy. Um, has good speed. How does the arm look in the outfield? I don't know. You know, um, I thought that he would be a, an offensive second baseman, but not in this organization. Unfortunately, you know, really liked him coming in into the draft and unfortunate that he had the arm injury and then missed a year. But I mean, you wouldn't have known that he missed a game the way that he played this past year. Not at all, which is crazy. I, I think, I think Pat might be right. Is that underrated because of that fact? I mean, he comes out at seven. I, I think it is. I think he's a guy who is way to this year. He had seven home runs and, t- and stole 20 bases. I think you're talking about a, a 10 home or 20 steal, um, guy who gets on base at a 330, 340, 350 clip. And that's that's after, like like you know we said, missing two years of action, comes back and does that. Does that mean there's more in the tank that now that he's got a year of reps back that he uh, he's able to do more? I think Pat's right. Maybe he's a little bit underrated, you know, because yeah. the, no- the numbers are what they are. But when you, like, when you take into account that he missed that time, you know, now I kind of wonder, is there more there? And, you know, I always try to weigh in age for level and projection into my rankings. And each of us do things a little bit differently. Um, sometimes we see some players more and we like them more because we've seen them more. We're, we're more familiar with them. Um, so him having lost a year to injury and then losing 2020, you know, you get hot names, so to speak, like a Jose Tena, a guy who's got a lot of hype behind him, who jumps him in the rankings and a young Kenzie Noel, who both performed, but both performed at lower levels than he did. So maybe Pat's right in that, uh, you know, you can make the case that Palacios should be at least a couple of notches ahead. Um, it, it's to be determined is how you want to weigh some of these guys will be looking at projection and what we think they can become and positional value too. If you're looking at a second baseman and a left fielder, 
and he's not got elite power like young Kentino well does or a Jose Tena who is a shortstop and can stick at shortstop and provide excellent defense at shortstop. You know, it, it just becomes a matter of positional value and all of that too, that gets weighed in for me anyways. So I don't think it's anything against Richie. I think it's a testament to the depth of the organization that we're talking about a Brian Lavastida at 15, 16 and a Richie Palacios at 14 or 15. Um, that's a good thing for this organization that these guys are here in our rankings right now. It's because there's a lot of talent within the org, not a slight towards the guys being lower down in the rankings. That's sure. Hard to balance um, for sure. I think, I think you're right. Tina at shortstop is why he moves up because he can stay there. Positional value matters. I wonder if Palacios is one of those guys that, like you said, I'm not sure you can look at age to level just because the time missed and, yeah. Um, I think it's a wash for him. You know, I, he should, he should, I guess, in theory, be where he was. Um, but when you miss two years, I say that he could be two years behind, but he didn't still be that good at all. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it tells you the work that he's put in. He's put in time in the cage. He's also put in time watching video and stuff like that. Um, he's done the work that he deserves this opportunity right now. That's why he's on the radar, so to speak. I think it's an interesting hit too that you know there was some questions in the draft that did he beat up on inferior competition at a place like Towson? You know the numbers were so good there that it, was he good enough to play at the next level? And clearly he was. So I think that's a that's a good find for Cleveland that they were able to to see what he did there and not think that he was just beating up on inferior competition. Yeah. That's a yeah, that, that that's was always tough to judge. Plan. It's kind of like Micah Priest. He played it against lower level competition, but I think the guy can hit. He may be an average bat at the end of the day, you know, but I still think the guy can hit. But he faced lesser competition. That's because other people missed the talent that was in front of them, or they just didn't get the opportunity to to be seen by the scouts that you know should have been there. But now they're getting opportunities, um, and. Palacios for good reason. We did have one question in the chat from loyal subscriber and listener, Mark Leffel. Uh, wanted to know if he had any K, any chance that Curry would start in Columbus if the the season starts without any of the 40-man players. I So I the depth chart I have for Columbus that doesn't have any 40-man players on it, I think he could. Right now I have... Battenfield and Adam Allen and Kirk McCarty and Adam Scott. And I have Tanner Tully. Um, I don't know if they're going to be willing to push him up that far right away, but I mean, I would certainly consider it over a guy like Tanner Tully, nothing against him, but obviously I don't think he really has a big league future. So you could make the argument they should do it, but um, if they are still being careful about his development, which I don't know if they need to be, but encourage these two games in Akron. Curry didn't get to Akron to just the very end of the season. I think he did get a playoff game. Is that right? And then maybe two games at the one, end of the season, something like that. I think it was one regular season game, and I think it was a playoff game. Okay, I, I knew it was right at the like the last week or two of the season. Um, but because of that, I think he gets at least four or five games back in Akron, and then you'll see. If there's injuries or if there's trades, I think that's when you'll see some guys shuffle around. 
you'll see maybe a Gavin Williams move up quickly, a Doug Nikhazy, Tommy Mace, all those guys should move quickly. I think all of those guys end up in double A at the end of the year. I mean, you could definitely argue that he would be a better fit to push his development versus putting Tanner Tully in the rotation. If there's no 40 man guys being allowed to use in April, which geez, if we get to April and the lockout's still dragging on, I might lose my hair, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, not naturally I, because I, you've been pulling it out. You won't be like uh, me and yeah, you shave it off. <laughs> it'll be gray at the very least. Cause I can't keep talking about this man. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, I could see why they would, I, I could see why you'd want him to be there, but I kind of wonder if they'll just hang on to the depth and start Tanner Tolley and push him back to Akron because they, not that they need the depth, right? But um, it, t- it does take a lot of pitchers to get through a full yeah. baseball season, so you never know. Yeah, and, and you want to um, reward guys who've been faithful to the org too and keep them around. Yeah, Tanner Tolley has been an org soldier for sure, uh, especially last year with all the pitchers that moved up and down from Double A AA and Triple A. He got he uh, he traveled I seventy one or I seventy seven quite a bit last year, if I remember right. Um, all right, top top couple. Let's let's try to wrap this up, Willie, because I know you and I got stuff to do, and looks like Pat had to depart, and we're over an hour and a half here. Um, I don't know. We could talk another hour about the top 10 and the top 12, but we can't, but you know, yeah, Cody I think Morris is on Battenfield, Morris, Quan, Naylor. Um, I think everybody knows how we feel about Logan T Allen and Gavin Williams even. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, we seem to be lower on Nolan Jones than some people. I think Keith Law dropped him quite a bit, but um yeah, I think some of the top 100 Did baseball America dropped him out of the top 100. I can't remember. Yes. Yes, they did. I, you know, I disagree with that because he, he had a slow start, but I mean, he was, he was good after the first month of the season. Like I've said several times on here, I believe he hit 269. Um, Kind of a guy he is what he is. He's doing what he's going to do. He's going to do that at the major league level. I think that's almost an everyday player, you know, or a most days player. I think you can play him every day because he puts up good at bats and will take walks, even even if he ain't, even if he isn't going to get a hit against a left hander, he'll still put up good at bats and probably get on base via a walk. Something that he likes to do is take walks. He's passive at the plate. We all know that. You know, hasn't changed much, but there's a lot of power there, and he could change a game with his power. So, I I still I don't know about ranking wise, but I still feel good saying that he's a fifty because I think he's an average. I don't know. Okay, yeah, I, I'm worried about the I'm worried about the platoon split thing still, but I still think you could say he's an average regular because, like you said, he does take a walk and the power is there, even if he doesn't get to all of it. But to me, to me, he's kind of like a left-handed Carlos Santana. I think he's going to get on base at a high rate. He's going to hit 20 to 25 home runs. There's a lot of value in that. Obviously, that doesn't make him a star, but to me, that's an average regular, right? If you if you can get on base at a 340, 350 clip and you hit 20, 25 home runs, I think that's a pretty good baseline for an average major leaguer. Yeah, and I wouldn't feel bad about putting him out there against an elite lefty. Maybe throw him out there against Chris Sale. I don't expect him to get a hit if he does good. If he does, it might be a game-changing hit. I expect that he's going to put up good at bats, wear pitchers down, get a lot of pitches, and probably get on base with a walk. 
You know, it's something that he Which does. Which is exactly what Carlos Santana it. did. Exactly. He don't. He doesn't have the power that Santana does, or I don't think he'll get to the power that Santana did. But I think very similar um, type of guy. You're right. Yeah, I think there. And we've talked about this before. There's some prospect fatigue with that too. He's yeah, been around I, for I so long. So. He's and he's only 23. But it just right, feels he's, like he's been around so long. He's been he's been at the top five for so long. Why hasn't he ascended mm-hmm. by now? Is kind of the sense of it. Because player development. Well, player development's just not linear. How many times do we have to say that? <laughs> it's a it's an ongoing mantra. Uh, Tyler Freeman was number one for us last year. I think the shoulder surgery and and the I don't say lack of power, but just the fact that. I think that I would say this, if, if it wasn't for the surgery, I would still argue that he'd be in the top two and four is not a big drop, but um, I think, I think his, his, him being at four to me says more about the leaps that Rocchio and Espino and Valera took versus what Valera, what, what, uh, what Freeman didn't do. I still think Freeman's a really good prospect. I think he's also an average regular but I think I just think that the the reason he's passed up is a the surgery and on those three guys I just talked about how far they came this year too. I think that's why. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, Rocchio gonna be a special player. Um, I think so. Franchise I, a little, for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's right. Number one overall pick in the the uh, first ever GBI prospect uh, draft. I'll have to go back and see how that turns out this year whenever he's allowed to play, but even in a couple of years, it'd be interesting to see how some of those players do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Espino at we'll, number we'll two. We'll be looking at next year's draft though. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Cause we'll be taking him again because he won't get to play all year. Yep. Um, Unfortunately. <laughs> Valera, Valera, not number one for a lot of other, uh, let's see. Keith law had Rokio number one. Um. I think Rokio was the top pro, uh, the top Guardians prospect on Fangraphs top 100. Although I will say for for Zips, how about this for Zips? Um, George Valera was ranked number five, so somebody agrees that he is the top prospect in the system. I can't believe he was 103 for Fangraphs and and Zips had him at at five. That's such a big, yeah, a big difference. I I, I understand why, but man, that's crazy to see, but. And that shows why he's number one for us because the offensive potential with him. There's also the fear of injury again because he has had a couple of injuries. Um, mm-hmm. You know, then there's the big arm Daniel Espino. Yeah, Double uh, A is going to be a fun test for him. I, I don't know. I don't know what happens if the season starts and there's no forty man players to play against because that obviously takes away some competition for him to face, but he blew away low a hitter or high a hitters last year. I know he had some command issues with the fastball that allowed him to get smacked around a little bit, but um, I think Keith law's report was interesting. He said that the concern for Espino is that, or maybe it was, maybe it was fan graphs. I can't remember which one it was. Now I've read so many, it's, it's all blending together, but um, you know, the fastball projects as elite because of the velocity and movement. He just needs to command it better. But they wonder if the the second there's enough secondaries. The slider is obviously elite, but they wonder is the curveball too loopy? Is the change up too firm? Does he have a third pitch? And I think uh, 
I think at high A, you can get away with two plus pitches when you throw 99 to 100, right? I think double A is where he's going to see a real challenge. He's going to need that third pitch this year, right? That's that's what he's got to do to to figure out his future. And, you know, again, look, he's going to be 21 at double A, two years younger than league average, which says a, a ton about talent. I've I've said I don't care if he strikes out 12 guys and walks four and a half. He's going to be a guy that carries a strikeout rate above 12, I think, and logs 200 innings when he does get to the big leagues. That's at least a middle-of-the-rotation starter for me, even if he's walking four and a half per nine, you know. Um, he'll wash it out by striking guys out the way I look at him. Um, uh, the the thing is, is that there's potential for more. Let's say he gets the walk rate to three. That's still higher than some people want. That's about league average, to be honest with you, though. He gets the league, league average on his walks, um, and he's striking guys out at a rate at 12, 14, 15%, you know, at an elite rate. Um we won't be having this conversation. It'll be, well, is he our future number one starter or what? You know, um, I. The ceiling's I, still very high. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm getting at. If he ends up a number three starter, I don't think he's a bullpen arm. I don't believe that at all. Um, and what is a number one starter for a lot of teams? A, a number one starter for a lot of teams might be a guy that's blowing away 12 guys per nine and walking three batters or, or even more than that but they're getting by with it because they can blow away a lot of guys. The kind of washing it out that direction is, yeah, they walk a guy or two and then they strike out two or three in inning, you know, and they come back and knock them out, striking them out. So I I think he's going to end up translating. Well, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. I thought he may rocket through the system and they just let him play and see what, what he does but they've taken their time with him and tried to develop him as a starting pitcher, you know, and with the amount of depth that they have, there's no rush on him. Put him in there, see what he does, let him develop and let him respond. Yeah. If he ends up being a, uh, if, if he ends up being a reliever, that's going to be one wicked reliever. Cause imagine how hard he would throw out of the bullpen. I would not <laughs> want to face him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he would be throwing as uh, as hard as uh, Ben Joyce right now, yep. throwing 102-103. I, I don't doubt that at all. He'd be blowing people. <laughs> then you have yeah. an elite closer, probably. Yeah, more than likely, and then that's someone who could move fast, but for sure. All right, well, that's the list. Uh, we didn't talk about everybody. We talked about you know a, a good handful. We got a question from Mark Leffel. Uh, you know, I'd have to say. The last time we did a live was what for the 40 man roster thing. People really enjoyed that. And it was a good, it was a good, uh, a good back and forth between us and some listeners and yep. um, other eligible people. We didn't have, it was just you, me and Pat tonight. And then Mark's question. And it was a little bit lighter tonight. And I feel like we'll wrap it up the way we started. I think, uh, I think the pan, not, I almost said the pandemic. That's weird. The lockout has, um, really hurt interest. Like I feel like we did this in November before the lockout and we had the 40 man stuff and everyone loved it. And now the lockout's happening and we're talking about this and, you know, a little bit less interest. So I, I think that has really, it's really showing in, in these kind of things that the lockout has really um, hurt interest. You know, it's unfortunate. We don't make our living doing this. <laughs> 
Yes, we're so good we, at we it. Would be hurting if we were, <laughs> because of the lockout. But but you're right. I think the lockout has definitely weighed on the average fan, but also you know people like us, like we said at the beginning of the show. Um, at the end of the day, I want to see the players paid and treated fairly. It starts with the guys who are breaking in, but it also the minor leaguers who are unspoken for or not spoken for at the table, so to speak. Let's hope and pray and continue to press. Um, I think there was a lot of positive changes and there's more positive changes coming with the housing and stuff for minor leaguers. There's still more progress that needs to be made for the minor league players. There's still more progress that needs to be put, made for the major league players. Um, let's not lose sight that at the end of the day, these are great athletes and we get an opportunity to see them for a season of their lives and our lives too. You know, and that's a gift to each of us, I think. I definitely agree. I want baseball back, but I am willing. You and I have talked about it. We've watched a lot. I've, I've watched more college baseball the first two weeks of the season than I had maybe in the last two years. Although 2020 doesn't count because there was barely a college baseball, but um, you know, I, I don't want to end on a sour note, but I almost, I, I see a lot of minor league teams saying, Oh, like, you know, come support minor league baseball. Yes. Do that because Mm -hmm. um, a lot of good people work in my league baseball, but let's remember that those guys are exploited too, that they're the ones who don't have bargaining rights that no one's fighting for them. And um, they have to play under less than satisfactory conditions for less than satisfactory pay with no way to fight it. So I'm torn between support minor league baseball and these guys are still are only playing because they're exploited. So uh, rock in a hard place, but um, we talked about prospects here. <laughs> What's that? I said, but college baseball is great. I think you're learning how fun college baseball can be. And oh, so how, you, how you can kind of expect the unexpected. Who expected Tommy White's big breakout? I mean, from a true freshman kid that, you know, I, I said I thought he would go somewhere between the four, the second and the fourth round last year if he was um, if he was going to sign. I, I had him in my top 50, or I'm sorry, not top 50, top 150. Uh, the latter half of that closer to 150. I think I had him like 146 or 143 or something. Um, but college baseball is fun, man. I think you're seeing that. And remember just the simplicity of the game and enjoy that. Take in some of these college games that are out there while Major League Baseball continues to do what they do. Um, that's their loss, not ours. Yeah. Well, at least a lot of people have uh, canceled their MLB TV subscriptions because uh, – the league had a statement saying we're not going to charge. We're not going to do auto renews tomorrow. Um, we're going to pause that until the CBA gets worked out. I think that was a response. They, if there wasn't such a large response from people canceling it, they wouldn't have said anything. They would just let it go on. So canceled mine. That's a good thing. Yeah, and I canceled it's... mine. And I won't bring it back this year. I'm, I'm busy enough watching minor league games, college stuff and um, guardians games. I'm not going to need to watch. Um, MLB TV. Uh, I'll watch whatever game I can get MLB Network or ESPN um, if it's on. I'm not going to bring MLB TV back this year. Plain simple. All right, man. You good? Anything else you want to add? Should we get out of here? That's it. I uh, I look forward to rounding out the rest of these write-ups, and hopefully by the time they're done, maybe we have a little bit of uh, pro baseball. In the meantime, I'll enjoy some college baseball and 
uh, taking in some old video of these prospects in the meantime. So, yeah, lots to watch, lots to to look for. Check out guardiansbaseballinsider.com every day for a new uh, scouting report on your favorite Guardians prospect, some of which will be playing, some of which may not be. We'll see. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Pat for joining us earlier. Really, thanks for taking the time to do this so late. We've gone in for a while, and uh, if you're listening, thank you.